Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. I just don't fathom it. How could you live without this kind of radio every day? I have no idea. Hey, welcome back to the program. It is the Michael Duke Show. Good morning and uh, hi. How are you? You ready for another? Uh, you ready for another big day of radio excellence, brilliance, uh, adequacy? Whatever you want to, whatever you think it is, it's. I'm sure it is. That's exactly what it is. Welcome back to the program and thanks for coming in and joining us. It is the Michael Duke Show Tuesday edition of the show. And we are ready to get down into it. Tuesday means that it is time for the weekly top three from uh, <clears throat> Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. He comes in every week and gives us what he considers to be uh, three of the big things that we should be considering, talking about, and discussing on the program uh, today. And today's topics are uh, some good ones, including... The top 20%, uh, the big lie from the top 20%, what he thinks the governor should do with the budget, and the question of why does Hillcorp deserve a $100 million bonus paid by PFDs? Those are going to be the three big questions from Brad this morning. Uh, and I'm sure that they will stir up a lot of controversy, hatred, discontent, and confusion in the chat room and everything else. So that's what we're, uh, that's what we're going on here. This morning, um, and then after Brad in hour one, we will be moving over to hour two and Chris Story, the man from Homer, who will come in with our weekly life coaching lesson. He'll come in and we'll we'll share we'll share some stuff and uh, and uh, hang out and and have our it's our betterment it's our betterment hour our section or session however you want it. I just call it life coaching, but you guys can call it whatever you want. So that's, uh, that's the plan anyway. So, uh, be looking forward to that in hour two is, uh, what we, what we've got going. <laughs> Jeannie in the chat room just said, hatred, discontent, and confusion is what we live for. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, all right, so we're going to be uh, we're going to be doing that and jumping in here. Before we get into it with Brad, I've got a couple headlines from around the state. Um, some of them, I mean, I don't know how funny it is, but it's definitely interesting. Um, uh, one of them, one of them is kind of sad. Um, apparently, there was a. Uh, Teen, uh, I was going to say young teen, but he was 18 years old. Uh, I guess young adult killed on Saturday night uh, in Nikiski, apparently while he was riding on top of a moving pickup truck. Um, uh, the 16-year-old driver of the vehicle, 
reported it and called it in. He was later charged with DUI uh, and additional charges. Uh, apparently, Martin was on the outside of the pickup truck and standing on the roof of the cab at the time of his fall. So, I mean, I've seen that whole car surfing thing on the internet. I'm sure you've seen that too. This sounds like uh, some kind of version of that, and that's unfortunate. Uh, just bad judgment uh, there, and uh, and alcohol led to the cutting short of something uh, that could have been. And so my thoughts go out to the family of, uh, of Mr. Martin, and uh, that's a tough thing. But I'm still trying to figure out how they got a 16-year-old <clears throat> to go out there and drive and do that. It's a it's a horrible, horrible situation. Horrible situation. Uh, but the story that caught my eye uh, was the story that many folks uh, may not have been following across the state um, because it doesn't necessarily really uh, pertain to them. But that I've been following just because Homer is my adopted hometown and I kind of like to keep up on track with what's going on. You've probably, if you've been down in the Homer area or been paying attention, you're probably familiar with Grubby. Grubby was a possum. An opossum? A possum? I always just say possum. Do you need to say a possum? Anyway, uh, Grubby was a possum that found itself on the streets of Homer after arriving on a cargo container uh, a while ago. It was captured uh, back in March. After sailing from Washington to Alaska, there was a number of uh, possum sightings, and then uh, she was finally captured by the Homer Police Department and transferred to the Alaska Zoo's infirmary. Um, however, it turns out that Grubby was not a guy. He was a gal. He was, in fact, he was a mother. She was a mother. And now they've been getting calls <coughs> from, from folks all over down uh, around town, including at City Hall where they said they just saw a young possum walking past their window. Uh, not long after Grubby Jr.'s incarceration, the next one, they started getting additional reports coming from the same vicinity. They have since found three of the siblings, but uh, so strongly suspect that there are more out there. According to the uh, Department of Fish and Game, the average uh, litter size of a possum is eight to nine joeys. But up to 13 can survive. Oh, my Lord. Can you imagine? More reports are coming in since the three grublets have been apprehended, including a resident who uh, has reported strange sounds coming from underneath of his house. They said it's important that the rest of the offspring be found. The, the Fish and Game said it's important that they get to be found to avoid competition, predation, and disease concerns that comes with introducing a new invasive species. Unfortunately, possum carry a number of diseases or can carry a number of diseases that can infect both local wildlife and humans, said Herman with the uh, uh, Fish and Game. Some of these can be fairly serious, and there's no way to know without having the animals on hand. Uh, if left unchecked, the possums would likely be able to survive in Alaskan winters as the temperatures down in Homer are comparable to what's in their home range. Moreover... Their breeding season typically occurs towards the end of winter, around January or February. And they can breed as soon as they get to that 8 to 12 month window. So basically, the first year of these little guys' life, they could be breeding. Now, however many you got left, times up to 13. <clears throat> I mean, 
I'm not one for math, but geometric progression sounds pretty tough at that point. <laughs> 13. Everyone could generate 13. They've caught three. They could have up to 13. That's 10 more times 13, 130. Gone unchecked another year, 100 and oh my lord. All right, boys, sounds like possum soup is back on the menu. Uh, Herman said the department's intent is to provide placement for the possums after they've all been captured. I mean, that's very, very, um, I mean, there's no possum season in Alaska. So I would think that they would be considered a nuisance and a rodent. But, uh, I mean, I don't, I'm not a lawyer, nor do I play one on TV, but I don't think I might, I don't think I'd go about the trouble of capturing one by hand at that point. <clears throat> that's just, that's just me. But just think about, you know, eight, nine, ten possums, each one capable of generating another eight, nine, ten possums. That's uh, <clears throat> that's not something you want to mess with. That is not something you want to mess with. So uh, get your get your grubby on, get your get your grubby on. I just like the idea of possum soup personally. It's supposed to be delicious. I've never never had it, but it's supposed to be delicious. Um, what are some of the other, uh, news stories here that, uh, came out, uh, cruise ship fire down in the, uh, Glacier Bay National Park on the, uh, uncruise adventure ship, the Wilderness Discoverer. Nobody was harmed. All the passengers and most of the crew were removed from the ship by another cruise ship. And, uh, they're towing the vehicle, uh, down to Ketchikan. Uh, they said the cause of the fire is under investigation. So that was another uh, one that came out there. Uh, oh, <clears throat> the abatement in Cuddy Park. Now, again, for most areas of the state, probably homelessness is not a huge issue. Uh, Anchorage has been, um, well, just inundated with the problem. And uh, I think part of it has to do with the fact that, well, They've been taking plays out of the playbook of places like Seattle and Portland, and it's not, I, I don't think it's, it's not paying off in the way that, that I think that they anticipated it would. The homeless problem seems to be growing in many ways uh, from my perspective as I work in Anchorage every day and I see this stuff uh, on a kind of a daily basis. But the municipality has decided to set an abatement for Cuddy Park today. Cuddy Park is a place in Midtown where residents, after getting moved out of the Sullivan Arena, apparently set up shop. Now, this is, these are illegal camps. They're not legally sanctioned. And in fact, back in December, the city had signed a lease with a concert promoter for a three-day music festival on the Cuddy Park, in the Cuddy Park area, and then allowed all these homeless camps to get set up on the, which makes it very difficult because they've already signed a contract, accepted money from this comp promoter to hold this outdoor concert. And uh, now people are up in arms with a concert uh, promoter that, oh, it's her fault that, that no, did she sign this back in December? And uh, the problem is, is that the city had, doesn't appear to have any real plan as to what's going on here. Uh, the police are out now, and they are abating this. They were uh, supposed to move out yesterday, and a large chunk of them did, but there's still uh, multiple residents who are living there uh, as the police try and come in and clean up the area and do all that kind of stuff. But <clears throat> it seems like the homelessness 
in the uh, in the Anchorage area has got there's really no relief in sight for what's happening for these people. No real plan as to how to um, uh, to help them and deal with them and get them back into, uh, you know, living regular lives. And unfortunately, um, it's also making a mess of everything in the downtown area. And in the and of course nobody in the other neighborhoods wants to have them. Uh, you know they've talked about different facilities and different buildings, and you could be over here and you could be over there. And then the neighbors are like, whoa, 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 uh, not in my backyard, baby. And uh, so there's really no solution as of right now. We've talked about that on the program before. The homelessness issue is multifaceted, and definitely we we you know we need to look at this now. Reason Magazine did a really good, interesting piece about the homelessness <clears throat> uh, policies uh, from three different tactics, including Los Angeles, uh, San Antonio, and Austin, um, and uh, recently in a Reason uh, piece. And that's very interesting. We might try and bring on some of the folks who did uh, did that just to talk about how do we deal with this, uh, what has worked and what has not worked. But uh, <clears throat> anyway... Kind of crazy. Uh, all right, that takes us right up to the break. We got more coming up. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, is going to be joining us in a moment. We're going to talk about the weekly top three. And uh, we're good to go. It's Tuesday. I mean, it feels I feel good. It's Tuesday. Uh, let's let's get on with it, shall we? Back with more right after this, the Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free thinking. Radio. Back with more in a moment. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, fine. Let's see what you guys got to say. What are you guys talking about this morning? What's happening? I don't know why I'm talking like this. It's only because I feel like my teeth are gone. Um, good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh, good morning, uh, good morning. Grubby, says <laughs> Grubby. Uh, three babies captured so far. Um, whoa. <laughs> and then Bill goes on to talk about, because you realize that if they started to breed, it would be like Arkansas, right? It, it's all inbreeding because they're all the same family. Uh, and then uh, Bill says, a bunch of inbred possums, kind of like Chica. Yeah. Um, they better get them or they'll be wrecking uh, everyone's uh, chickens and gardens in no time. They're nothing but big rats and pests. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I don't think I'd be trying to capture them by hand. I think my 410 would I think my 410 would be just the perfect apprehension. Possum apprehension would be the 410 shotgun with number six. Bird shot. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. All right. Before Brad looks like <laughs> looks like he's gonna fall off his chair. <laughs> wow. 
That tickled you. Huh? Open seat, open season with shotguns in Homer, in the city of Homer. Well, you know, I mean, it's all it. it they are they are pests. They are rodents. What are you going to do? Uh, I mean, I, I cla- collateral damage. Ad. Hey, look, thou shalt not suffer a squirrel to live. That is that was what I was raised by. Because squirrels will do nothing but tear your stuff up. And so I have killed every squirrel I've ever found since I was 12 years old. Because they will tear your stuff up. Your house, your <laughs> your stuff you put in your shed. I mean, they will just... So, I mean, I've waged a one-man war on squirrels since I was 12 years old. And I'm a better person for it, Brad. I just want to let you know that. I'm better. So, we'll just add possums to the list at this point. Um, anyway, uh, let's see. What else? What are they going to breed with? Possum incest. Yes, that's what I'm trying to say. Possums, they don't care. Uh, they're breeding with politicians. Oh, my God. That would be the... Uh, man, this is a comedy showcase today. This is this is going off the rails quickly, Michael. Hey, hey, welcome to the show, Brad. Have you seen this thing before? Come on. Um. All right. Well, are you ready to uh, you ready to 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 dive in with both feet and get stuff done? I I am. I am. I I've got to recover from the possum conversation first. But who would want to reach down and try and grab a possum? Those things are nasty. I mean, have you see those? I'm just like, whoa, nope, here, let me, here, you hold this, boom, now, there we go, now, now we're done. Uh, anyway, um, it, uh, it is what it is. Uh, okay, so we're uh, getting ready here, we're about uh, 60 seconds out uh, from ready to join. You want to touch on, I, I sent an email to Ed, and uh, I'm trying to get Ed King back on the program, haven't talked to him quite a while, he's got a good piece out. Do you want to touch on that before we go into the weekly top three, or what would you like to do? Oh, why don't we do that in the break? Okay. All right. We'll do it in the break. Okay. Okay. Um, then there we go. Uh, you hold on the line here, my friend. I will be right back to you. Um, found the show finally beginning to get irritated with Facebook trying to regulate my habits. Apparently, Hawk said somebody reported his comment about just shooting the possum. Sorry. That's, that's what you, they're rodents. That's, that's how it works. Welcome to Alaska Facebook. I don't know what your deal is, but uh, you'll figure you'll figure it out. Uh, okay, here we go. Uh, jumping back into it, Brad Keithley is our guest. Uh, please like and share the show. Like and follow the show page if you haven't caught us out on YouTube yet. Uh, YouTube is a much easier platform for many folks to try and enjoy the program on. So uh, just slide on over to YouTube and make sure that you subscribe and ring the bell. And do all the YouTube things as I try and hit 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. I mean, there's only 4,000 of you on Facebook. You'd think somebody would want to come over to YouTube. But all right, here we go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. Like, share, follow, yada, yada, yada. Let's do it. Okay, fine. Welcome back to the program. The Michael Duke Show. The weekly top three. Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets joins us this morning. 
to talk about uh, uh, wood ticks, lunatics, and politics, apparently. Or possums. Brad got a giggle out of the whole possum thing. Um, all right, so Brad, uh, weekly top three. The big one for today, of course, is the big top 20% lie. That's where we're going to start the whole conversation this morning. You say they've got the they got the hashtag, in fact, hashtag big lie from the top 20%. Uh, hit me with it. What do, we, uh, what do we got going on here? Well, usually at the end of the session, we get an uh, op-ed from somebody in the top 20% praising the legislature for yet again fiscal responsibility. Uh, in their opinion. <clears throat> the last few years, it's been Carl Mars. Uh, before that, it was uh, uh, Jim Jensen on occasionally. This year, Harry McDonald evidently drew the short straw, and Harry McDonald ha- has written the obligatory, uh, seemingly obligatory uh, uh, op-ed uh, that's appeared in Anchorage, Must Read, uh, Fairbanks, Juno, uh, all over the place. Uh, the headline of it is, Legislature Deserves Credit fiscal responsibility. And while they've done it before, uh, because uh, Governor Dunleavy had has talked about a sales tax, this year it sort of stood out to me. These op-eds always have a big lie, well, at least one big lie in them. And, and, and this year, the one by Harry McDonald, the big lie in Harry McDonald just popped out at me. It says, implementing a statewide sales tax would hurt everyone most particularly low-income and rural Alaskans, it would be a significant drag to the state's recovering economy. That's Harry's uh, Harry's counter to <laughs> the argument that we ought to be using uh, uh, that we ought to be substituting substituting sales taxes for PFD cuts wow. uh, if we need them. Now, here's <laughs> it's not like it's not like you know this is even an arguable issue. In in 2017, both the 2016 and the 2017 ICER and ITEP. Uh, uh, studies took this head on, took the issue head on. And here's what uh, ICER said uh, in a subsequent 2017 follow-up to its 2016 study. A cut in PFDs would be by far the costliest measure for Alaska families. Households with children would pay about 2.5 times more per person than those without children for every $100 million of revenue raised. Sales taxes, this is Harry's, you know, big Oh my God, we miss sales taxes, according to Harry. Sales taxes would be the next costliest for households, with for Alaska households. Again, those households tend to have lower income. Sales taxes are the same for everyone, so they take a bigger share of income from poorer households. But the, but the key point is a cut in PFDs would be by far, by far, I'm quoting, the costliest measure for Alaska families. Sales taxes though regressive would have uh, would have a secondary impact so you go back to harry's you go back to harry's op-ed implementing a state statewide sales tax would hurt everyone most particularly low-income and rural alaskans and would be a significant drag you know what would be worse harry (laughs) pfd cuts pfd cuts would be worse are worse. I love how they or, found a religion all of a sudden. Oh, we would hurt the poor. We would hurt the poor and the and, and the villagers and the indigent. What do you think you just did? I mean, by cutting, you know, three quarters of the PFD out. What do you think you just did? Yeah, it's a, uh, it, it's a. I mean, it's the, it's the big lie, right? If you repeat it often enough, if you repeat often enough, that sales taxes are bad. Sales taxes hurt poor. 
you repeat that often enough and, and evidently in enough newspapers and enough news outlets, if you hit Juno and Fairbanks and, and oh, I forgot Matsu, they hit Matsu, the frontiersman also, probably hit the, the, the Kenai Peninsula also. Um, if you repeat it, if you repeat it often enough in enough newspapers, it must be true, but it's not true. It's the big lie. The big lie that, that the top 20% are trying to spread is that taxes would be bad. They'd be horrible. They would Im impact low-income Alaska families. They would take money out of the Alaska economy. And they are bad, except for the thing that's worse by far, PFD cuts. So it's just, I mean, what we've got is a situation where the top 20% are just trying to cover their tracks wherever they can. And now, and, and, and they've done it before, but now they're just resorting to lying about the, the relative impacts of PFD cuts versus sales taxes uh, on Alaska families. And it's, you know, it's sort of disgusting. I, I, it's, it's, let's have a debate. Let's have a debate about whether PFD cuts or sales taxes or income taxes or flat taxes are the white, right way to cover this, are the white, right way to cover this deficit. Because we now know from you know this the show uh, over the course of the over the course of the post session interviews that you've done we now know that there's no will to cut spending so let's talk about whether pfd cuts let's talk fairly about whether pfd cuts sales taxes income taxes flat taxes are the oil taxes are the right way uh, to cover the deficit well, let's not lie about it let's not let's not let's not you know spread the big lie that sales taxes are the are horrible they're bad for Low income and 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 Alaska families, and they're bad for the economy. There is something worse, and the thing we are using is that something. PFD cuts have by far the a larger adverse impact on Alaska families, on low income, middle income Alaska families, uh, and on the overall Alaska economy than sales taxes. So let's at least let's at least have the debate on the facts. Let's stop lying, Harry. Well, and, uh, and be honest about it. We've talked about this on the program before, Brad. I'm not a fan of taxes, right? I mean, you know, you and I have talked about this for years, but I've always said that if, you know, if we can stand in the middle of the road with our hand out saying, stop, you guys need to cut, and the train will just roll on and roll right over us if we're not paying attention, right? Because there is no political will to cut. We want it to happen, but we are apparently a, 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 a minority in this state. We are a true minority in this state of people who actually want to cut the size and scope of government. Shocking. We thought we were in the majority. Turns out, no, we're not. And so, what, 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 what did McCabe, what did McCabe say? The only people who want to cut spending are the are the ones that listen to this show. Uh, that's kind yeah. of that's kind of what he said, right? I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I thought we were talking to a lot more Alaskans. I thought there were more people out there that felt the same way. And in one side of their mouth, they may, but on the other side, they're like, "Yeah, but don't cut the program in my backyard." You know what I mean? So they want to cut, but they're not really mm, fully on board with cuts. So the bottom line is, if there's going to be a discussion on taxes, and let's face it, here's what I would like to see. Carl Mars and McDonald and all these folks that are writing these op-eds, I'm going to be interested to see in about three or four years when taxes are inevitable what their op-eds are going to look like. Because they are coming. Once the PFD's gone and the size and scope of government continues to grow because it will, it's baked in. I'm interested to see what their op-eds look like then. But the bottom line is if we're going to face taxes, we should have an honest discussion about what is the best tax structure that does the least amount of damage to the private economy. But since they don't care about the private economy 
as we pointed out time and time again, and they're divorced from the private economy, they really don't care. They want the one that's most expedient. Michael, they care about the private economy. They care about their private economy. The top 20% are looking out for their share of the private economy, their bank accounts, and, and, and their businesses that are tied to state spending. They care about they care about the private economy. They want to make sure that other segments of the private economy, the middle and lower income Alaska family segments of the private economy, are the ones paying for it. I mean, it's not it's not that they don't care. They care very much. <laughs> they care about their own bank accounts, and they and they want to protect their own bank accounts by shoving the dollars by shoving the responsibility down to middle and lower income Alaska right. families. Two years, three years from now, what's the debate going to be? Then Harry's going to be in favor of sales taxes. You know why? Because sales taxes are the next most regressive right. approach to right. raising revenues. And so they're going to want to shove it down. They'll, they'll have to pay a little bit, but the bulk of it will be shoved down to middle and lower income Alaska families. So right. it's it, it, they are, let's be clear, they're looking out for their share of the private economy. Let's also be clear the middle and lower income Alaska families aren't doing a very good job of looking out for their share of the private economy. We're, you know, belly aching about government spending. And as you say, we've been rolled over by the bus and, you know, and, and, and we're the ones middle and lower income Alaska families are the ones paying for it. So it's, uh, it's, we, we've seen where this, we've seen how this movie's playing out and, and we've seen the continuation of the movie session after session after session Harry and now we're now we're just seeing you know people lying to keep it going. Harry and and Mars and Jensen, all of them just lying their you know their 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 fannies off to 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 make sure that they aren't the ones paying. And it's and and, and it's it's sad to see well, them resort to lie. Let's have an honest debate. Stop lying, Harry. It's so hypocritical to see them now wringing their hands over the plight of the poor and the lower income folks and everything else when they are the architects of the destruction of the lower income folks by taking that PFD, the impact. And just, again, the disingenuousness of it is uh, it's shocking. It's just quite shocking in the in the long run. So that's the big lie. Uh, and we know where it's going and we know what's coming from it. Uh, Brad, uh, we're about, uh, well, we're going to take a break a little early here. So give me a tease for number two, which is, of course, what should the governor be doing? And and Ben Carpenter covered a bit of this last week, and we've talked about it with a couple other legislators. But what is the governor, what should he be doing? What is he doing and what should he be doing? Give I think us a you tease. had a great, I think you had a great interview with Ben last week. Uh, and Ben made the point that, that it's really up to the governor. He's done what he can do. The Senate sort of rolled over the House, and with the with those in the House majority who joined with the minority to pass the Senate budget, he's sort of at a at a at an endpoint, sort of at a at a loggerheads. Basically, what he was saying, what I understood Ben to be saying, is the governor needs to weigh in and rebalance the scale and say, yes, the PFD is important. Yes, getting spending under control is important, uh, but the governor, it's up to the governor to weigh in. And then, as Ben said. Then we're going to. Then they may listen to other voices uh, once the governor is, has weighed in and sort of rebalanced the scale. But the way we're going right now, they don't have to rebalance the scale because between the House minority and the and and those in the majority who joined the House minority to pass the Senate budget, uh, uh, there is no there is no stopping point for 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 where this goes. So I'm I'm going to talk a little bit about in the second segment about what the governor 
could do, picking up on some of Ben's ideas, but what the governor could do to uh, to rebalance the scale. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, is our guest. We're going to continue with him here in just a moment. We're going to talk about uh, what the governor should be doing. We're also going to talk about Hillcorp. Uh, we may get a little bit into it. We talked about it last week, but we may talk a little bit more about the damage to the process. Can the governor's actions also right the ship on that? Because I think that's a bigger question. Uh, I mean, we could have damaged the legislative process here for the foreseeable future. Maybe some of the governor's actions can help reverse that. I don't know. We'll see what Brad has to say about that. Brad Keithley, our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. The weekly top three continues right after this. Don't go anywhere. We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on, on, the, on the Internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, Brad Keithley is our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable uh, Budgets. I mean, um, <clears throat> hey, Brad, how about that fiscal plan that the uh, Senate cooked up, huh? That's a that's a doozy. <laughs> that's a great fiscal plan, right? We've got a fiscal plan. It's called 7525. What happens when you run out of, well, we'll just, we'll decide then in two years when we run out of money. Uh, uh, Ed King's got a piece on that. I'll let you, uh, I'll let you take the floor on that for a minute. Ed's got a great piece for those that don't follow uh, Ed. It's uh, kingeconomics.com. Uh, he wrote a new piece uh, uh, talking about uh, the, the fiscal plan from a game theory standpoint. Uh, Ed uh, uh, is an economist by training, is in game theory, and, and sort of tries to game out where the, where the fiscal plan goes. He divides the state into... You divide the legislature essentially uh, into three pieces. One, uh, the Democrats who are uh, who want to maximize spending uh, and want to uh, uh, would would like to to retain the PFD, but are willing to give the PF, PFD up in order to maximize spending. What he calls the Hickel Republicans, which are all for spending on uh, invest on uh, infrastructure and on a variety of things that. Uh, 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 would would you know further the 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 state's support of certain industries, uh, and then the Hammond Republicans who are focused on the PFD and are focused on the private sector and focused on the impact of of PFD cuts on uh, on Alaska families, and it's a great piece that sort of games out how how those three pieces the Democrats the Hickel Republicans and the and the Hammond Republicans sort of interact with each other and and how how that interaction results in a fiscal plan. Basically, it's sort of the same thing that I that I've said earlier on. Uh, another way of saying what I've said earlier on is when it dawned on me that Natasha von Imhoff and and the rich Republicans, the wealthy Republicans, the top twenty percent Republicans, had become aligned with the Democrats. What I realized was going on was the alignment was spend all you want. We won't oppose your spending, but don't tax us. Don't tax the top twenty percent. Find another way. To raise the revenue by shoving the costs off on middle and lower. Don't tax us. Don't tax our friends in the oil industry. 
find another way of shoving the costs off by uh, by cutting PFDs and taking money out of the pockets of middle and taxing middle and lower income Alaska families. Ed's game theory is sort of is sort of a variation on that, or sort of a a different way of putting the same point. That right. What we what we found is that the the Democrats and the Hickel Republicans are are aligning on spend, spend, and they'll fight about what the spending ought to be on. But the central theme is spend. But don't tax us. Don't the Hickel Republicans don't tax us to make us to make to pay for it. So push the costs off on middle and lower income Alaska families by uh, by cutting the PFD. Is is it me? And I mean, I I quoted that quote uh, a few a minute ago just because it was to me it was just so in your face. I felt like uh, when they said that that they were giving us the finger. But break it down for me, Barney style here, Brad. The idea that somehow that the seventy five twenty five is a fiscal plan. <laughs> um, I mean, they literally with a straight face looked at the camera and said that that that's oh, the fiscal it? plan. Um, and that's just you know that's spending. Spending is one component of this fiscal plan, but they that's that's what they go and, they, and then they look you in the eye and tell you with all seriousness that's a fiscal plan. Well, it's it's. I mean, the, the fiscal plan, the, the, the PFD plan is whatever it needs to be in order to fund whatever they want, whatever they agree to spend on. And the fiscal plan at one point was, um, OK, we'll, we'll take the, the other share of, 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 of the permanent fund earnings stream after the, after the PFD, the Hammond plan. Then it was, and that was, that was Governor Dunleavy's plan at one time. Now it's become his plan again, but it really isn't his plan because he isn't backing it up. Uh, but that that was sort of the first uh, line in the sand. Then it was POMB 50-50, right? Then it was, okay, we'll sort of stop at POMB 50-50. But, but I'm told there was a, there was a discussion uh, between GCI, of all people, and, uh, and, and the chairs of the finance committee at the time that 50-50 wasn't going to be enough. It wasn't going to provide enough revenue uh, to the government to, uh, to keep spending, keep the revenues flowing to, to support the spending they wanted. Um, and so then it became POMB 2575 because that was sort of the next convenient stopping point, right? That was the next uh, 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 logical number to go to. And, and so now it's POMB 2575, but we're going to find, um, as we've talked about on the show before, we're going to find in a couple of years, it's, well, it's, re- it's really 80-20 and then it's 1585 uh, <laughs> and it'll just keep going until it's gone. Yeah, Exactly. Uh, Senator Hughes on the Senate floor said, Mr. President, cutting the PFD is not a fiscal plan. Uh, yeah, you think? I mean, that's uh, what we're trying to point out here. It is not a fiscal plan. All right, we're going to continue. Brad Keithley is our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Like and share, like and follow. Let's get going on. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. <laughs> Whew. I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. That's right. Not your daddy, nor do I play one on TV. I got enough of my own. I don't need you to. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, comes in the weekly top three. We're on to number two, which is what should Governor Dunleavy do 
with the budget. As our discussions with Ben Carpenter showed last week, he is literally the last line of defense for any of us who are fans of smaller, more limited government. Uh, he's got an opportunity here, but as we have seen him waste those opportunities in the past, I don't know how positive we should be about this. But Brad, what uh, what's your take on this? What should we be looking forward to? What should we be encouraging the governor to do? Well, after I listened to Ben's uh, interview, uh, your interview with Ben, which I thought was an excellent interview, and if anybody hasn't listened to it, they ought to uh, go back and, and listen to it in, in podcast form from last week. After I listened to that, I thought about it a while. What Ben's basically saying is, look, we can't, our side can't get any traction. I mean, the Senate sort of run over us. There was enough defections in the House majority to join with the House minority that uh, that we got run over. And and we can't get any traction to get to a fiscal plan. And and he said, you know, that, that, that they will just keep taking the PFD more and more and more of the PFD to fund their spending. Um, until the PFD is gone. And there's really, as long as you've got the Senate majority push, willing to do that, willing to take whatever out of the PFD they need, and as long as you've got enough in the House minority or the House majority to agree with the House minority uh, uh, to continue to do that, there really isn't a stopping point. Ben's point was the really the last line of defense here, the, the ability to get back some leverage and to get back some balance in this process is the governor. And, and, and Ben's thought process was the governor needs to be prepared uh, to veto uh, a portion of spending uh, and essentially say, look, I'm not going to allow the PFD to be used for all this spending. The, the sort of the play out of that is, uh, in my mind, is the governor would say uh, uh, in his veto message, look, we're going to draw the line at POMB 50-50. We're not going to make middle and lower income Alaska families pay for any more of this than coming down to POMB 50-50. If you want to spend more, you've got to find other revenue sources to do it. Put the burden back on the legislature to find those revenue sources. And the governor's going to say, look, to get the PO, the, to, to, to fund POMB 50-50, you have to put $800 million back into the, P, back into the, back into the PFD. Uh, and so I'm going to veto $800 million of spending out of the budget, creating enough money to put $800 million back in the PFD. I'll tell you what, I'm going to, this would be the governor's message. I'll tell you what, I'm going to call a special session. And if you want to put that $800 million in spending back, pass revenue measures, have the guts to pass revenue measures that either, you know, put the burden on, on the oil companies or put the burden on on a broad-based tax that puts a portion of the burden on the top 20% as well as non-residents, I will give you the opportunity to add that revenue back in and to save that spending. But if you're not willing to pass revenue measures to more broadly base uh, the revenue uh, on, uh, to broad, more broadly base the, 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 the revenue supporting that spending, then, then I'm not going to I'm not going to support the spending either. We're not going to do it on the backs of middle and lower income Alaska families through any deeper cuts than uh, than than POMB uh, 50/50. That's that's a message that it, the problem with what the governor did in 2019 was was say, or what the governor did in 2019 was say, I'm just going to veto. Period. We're not going to spend on these matters. That caused that caused the explosion. What this, how this message would be different is, look, I'm going to veto, we're going to have POMB 50-50. That's going to be the bottom line. 
I'm going to veto out the money to be able to create uh, uh, POMV 5050. But I'm not going to say you can't spend if you find the revenues uh, uh, for that additional spending. Then uh, then go ahead and do it, and uh, and and we'll uh, we'll continue to have the spending. With that veto message, the governor could follow through with what he said he was going to do last spring, but never did, which is put a sales tax on the table and say, look, if you want to um, uh, uh, fund this, if you want to have the additional spending here, I'm going to propose a sales tax, use the sales tax, use oil taxes, use whatever, use whatever measures you want to use, but we're not going to fund it on the backs of middle and lower income Alaska families anymore. We've done enough. We've taken enough out of their pockets uh, in, in funding government. There's $800 million there that legitimately could be put in spending that legitimately could put on, be put on the table. It's, it, it will cause an explosion on some fronts, but there's, 800, there's a logic for $800 million. The increase in the operating budget, the agency budget between FY22 and FY24, Leaving out the year, the the year where we had an explosion in oil in oil revenues, <clears throat> the difference between the two is five hundred million dollars. So we had four million four million dollars in agency spending in FY twenty two, and we have four point five million dollars now in the in the legislature's uh, budget for uh, FY twenty four. Bill so billion veto out billion five hundred million dollar there five hundred million dollars there right, and then and then the other three hundred million dollars is probably in the capital budget. And you would say, I'm going to take the capital budget back to uh, what's necessary to match the federal funds that are coming into the state. Look, if you want $35 million to groom trails and do the other stuff uh, that you proposed, if you want the additional money, uh, uh, the additional $300 in money for for the other capital projects, fine. But pass a revenue measure. We're not going to do it on the backs of of middle and lower income Alaska families. I think I think that is a message that the governor could give that would then restore the balance. So then we come into the October session, into the special session, and Ben's committee means something. It is the it is the committee that's going to consider how to raise that additional revenue to to cover the additional spending that uh, that the governor right. has uh, has vetoed out. Well, because we've heard uh, from several sources, uh, and in fact, I think even Rob Myers mentioned it on the program, having just having a special session in October with the budget not being on the table, there is no leverage for the other side to come to the table at all, the Senate to come to the side of the table at all. You could have a special session, but they'll just gavel in and gavel out, he says. They're not they're not interested in talking about any other. They, they think they've got a fiscal plan. But if you had something like this, there would be leverage for them to have to show up and actually do something. Is that is that? Are you uh, in agreement with that uh, that hot yeah. take on it? Yeah, yeah. I think I think then the burden is on is on the Senate. Uh, if the governor's clear about it, the burden is then on the Senate and then on the House minority to come up with, and and those in the House majority that voted with the House minority for the Senate's budget. I think the burden is then on them to come up with a with a broad based more fair, more equitable, uh, less one-sided revenue source uh, to fund that additional uh, $800 million. Oil taxes, we're going to talk about briefly in the next segment about $100 million you can get from Hillcourt. Um, it, uh, there are revenue sources there. The governor's talked about sales taxes. There are revenue sources there. And I think if we came to the October session with those vetoes on the table, but with the governor saying, look, you want the spending? Fine. Pay for it. Pay for it equitably. 
We're not going to pay for it anymore off the backs of middle and lower income Alaska families. Pay for it equitably. I think if the governor sent that message, we'd have a, we have a very interesting October session because then you've got the top 20%. You've got Carl Mars and Harry McDonald and all of the others then confronted with, oh my God, well, we like the spending when we didn't have to pay for it. Right. But now you're going to make us pay for a portion of it. Well, maybe we don't like that spending as much as, as we thought we did. Um, and you get a session that I think really confronts whether all Alaskans, including the top 20%, are willing to pay for the additional spending that we keep now heaping on middle and lower income Alaska families through PFD. Okay, Brad. So give me some Vegas odds here. What do you think? I mean, cause the governor's been radio silent. I mean, he's been in Germany and doing all this other kind of stuff, but I mean, there's been, it's like zero, there's nothing coming out of the governor's office on the budget or anything else. What do you think is actually, I mean, you've laid out the kind of the perfect plan if somebody in the governor's office is listening, but what do you think is actually going to happen? Well, it goes back to you know the discussion we had back at the time of the governor's after the after the November election. Does the governor want to establish a legacy? Does he want to be the second Hammond? Does he want to stand up and support the PFD? Does he want to draw a line in the sand and said we're not going to we're not going to obliterate the PF the PFD? Uh, does he want to set a legacy, or does he just want to be you know go along and get along and you know maybe run for senate against whoever the hell he's going to run against for senate Lisa or whoever? Uh, when, whenever, whenever that next uh, opportunity comes up, if he's the go along, get along governor, he won't do it. I mean, if he's yeah. if, e- even though, even though there's a perfectly legitimate way of saying this is different than 2019, I'm not saying no spending. I'm just saying pay for it yourselves, as opposed to continuing to shift it to middle and lower income Alaska families. If he's the go along, get along governor, he won't do it. If he's a governor who wants to leave a legacy, this is the way to do it. This is the way to draw a line in the sand and say, we're going to do uh, we're going to do this differently going forward. And one of the revenue options, of course, as you just mentioned, is the oil patch. And you've talked about you and I've talked about that. There's still several hundred million dollars probably left on the table in a variety of different ways. One of which is number three, the Hill Corp. Uh, you're asking the question, why should Hill Corp get a hundred million dollar bonus basically paid for by the PFD? we got about three minutes here. Well, this is this goes back to a discussion we had a few weeks ago. Look, SB 21 was supposed to give the the, the 2013 law uh, changing oil taxes. That was supposed to give all the incentive that the oil companies ever needed to develop additional supplies, right? What Hillcorp's getting is a $100 million bonus on top of SB 21, simply as a result of the way they're, they're, they've structured their corporation, simply because they're an LLC as opposed to a C corporation. They're an S corporation for tax purposes as opposed to a C corporation. Simply because of that, they get a $100 million bonus. Why the hell should Hillcorp be getting a $100 million bonus when at the same time we're seeing headlines like we did last week in the ADN, Alaska regulators fine Hillcorp $267,000 saying oil producer has a track record of violations. Why are we giving an oil producer that has a track record of violations a hundred million dollar bonus on top of the SB 21 incentives. We shouldn't. That should be gone. That should have been gone day one after Hill Corp acquired BP, but it's drug on and drug on and drug on. And and that should come to an end. Uh, and it could be, and it could easily be part of the revenue package that the governor or that the governor would accept or propose as part of as part of the veto message to to protect the POMB 5050. 
And it's that simple. I know a lot of people are bent out of shape about, well, Brad, you just want more taxes on corporations now here in the state of Alaska? That, that That's it. This is very specifically a carve-out for the oil producers, right? It's a hundred, not for the oil producers, for Hill Corp. Right. It's a hundred million dollar bonus on top of SB 21. We can argue all day long about whether SB 21 needs to be revisited. But this is this is separate and apart from that. It's a hundred million dollars bonus to Hill Corp on top of SB 21. Yeah. No producer. I mean, we said SB 21 in a way that was supposed to incentivize production. It's done it or it hasn't done it. We can argue about that. But there's no justification for, for giving a hundred million dollar bonus on top of SB 21. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Appreciate you coming on board, my friend. As always, interesting discussions. We appreciate you being part of it. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. Folks, we got more coming up. The Michael Luke Show continues, hour two, dead ahead. Uh, okay, Brad, here's the argument. Um, Hill Corp doesn't have a loophole, it's not a corporation. Alaska does not and should not have an income tax. Um, and Brad must be advocating for every small business in Alaska nope. to pay the corporate income tax. So nope. that's the I'm advocating. I'm advocating for oil producers to pay for uh, to be treated equally across the board for Hillcorp to be treated the same as Conoco, to be treated the same as uh, Exxon, to be treated the same as every other producer up on the slope and have the same tax structure. I'm advocating for Hillcorp to have the same tax structure that BP had when BP owned exactly the same properties. There's no difference between BP and Hillcorp other than their corporate structure. And I'm advocating for the, the oil corporations. We've treated oil corporations separately for purposes of taxes. We can treat them separately for purposes of this tax for Hillcorp to be treated exactly the same as Conoco Exxon in the way that that BP was. And that's what I was saying when I said carve out. I wasn't meaning a carve out specifically for Hillcorp. I'm saying they have carved out the oil industry into a separate taxation structure versus other corporations in the state of Alaska. They, they treated them separately in the past and this would basically be following in that same footsteps if we did that with Hillcorp and changed the uh to the S Corp or LLC function, right? Exactly right. I mean, why why should we be giving Hillcorp? I mean, SB 21 was hard fought. SB 21 was, this is the structure we need in order to incentivize producers to produce additional volumes uh, in the state of Alaska. Remember that we that Alaska has a constitutional obligation to maximize the revenues for the benefit for the benefit of the people. We 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 set SB 21 so that we achieved that objective, took as took as many dollars as we could but created an incentive for the producers still to, to continue to, to develop and invest. Why does Hillcorp need a hundred million dollar bonus on top of that? You can argue that that's violating the constitution in the sense that we're allowing Hillcorp to retain money that's, that's additional to what's necessary to, to, develop, uh, to develop those resources. And, and as a result, we're not maximizing the revenue for the, for the, for the, or we're not, maximizing the benefit for the for the people we are instead giving a hundred million dollar bonus to Hillcorp just because it happened to come into the state in a different corporate structure than the others you, you, sb20 sb20 we can argue sb21 all day long 
But keep in mind, this is a bonus that Hillcorp's getting on top of SB21. And there's no, no one has said, oh, it's needed to, for Hillcorp to do additional exploration. They're not doing additional exploration. There's no one who said Hillcorp needs this additional bonus in order to do this. It's simply, ah, oh, we, Hillcorp's a corporation that's formed as an LLC. It ought to be, it ought to be getting that $100 million. $100 million. No, it shouldn't. That $100 million coming from the Alaska, the, the resource that's owned for the benefit of all Alaskans ought to be going to Alaskans. It ought not to be going to that corporation. And of course, you're talking about Article 3, Section 8 of the Constitution, which mandates that all resources be uh, developed to the maximum benefit is what the is what the uh, verbiage says. Uh, and many politicians have argued the maximum benefit means maximum money uh, to the state of Alaska. So this would, I guess, fall in line with that argument for many of them uh, in that regard. Uh, Brad, final thoughts here uh, before I let you go on any of the weekly top three or any of the other comments that you've seen that uh, that uh, tripped your fancy there. Well, I think I think the big burden, I think Ben hit it exactly correctly last week. I think the big burden is now coming on the governor and what the governor does. And this is, this is as much as this session was an inflection point where the legislature said, no, we're not going to stop spending. We're going to keep going uh, and we're going to keep taking it out of the PFD. As much as this session was an inflection point in that direction, even though revenue, even though all revenues are, are down, we're not going to stop spending. We're going to keep going. We're just going to take it out of the PFD. Even though this, it, as much as this session was that inflection point, I think this decision by the governor on whether to veto and how to veto and what to do uh, with respect to this budget is an inflection point. I think if the governor draws the line as Ben out, outlined, we can get some balance back in the process and we can ensure that all Alaskans have to contribute to the cost of government. If the governor passes this, lets the budget go into effect, doesn't uh, draw the line in the sand, doesn't say I'm going to protect POMB 50, um, I think I think we've hit another inflection point and I, and I think it's going to be very difficult to get Humpty Dumpty back uh, back together again uh, past this point. So I think it's I think it's a big, big deal for the governor. And, uh, and it's going to be something that uh, we're going to be looking at closely as uh, as as the decision as he makes the decision. And of course, all of this is predicated on whether or not the governor has decided. I mean, if he's got nothing to lose and he's not doing anything else, it's one thing. But if he's decided that he wants to continue to run for higher office, it uh, it may be uh, he doesn't want to alienate that top twenty percent donor base if he's planning on running for the uh, running for the Senate or the U.S. House or something like that. So, I mean, it's a real uh, it's a conundrum, and he's been radio silent up until this point. So, we have no idea what he's going to be doing. Yeah, and and it's probably not by accident that Harry's uh, Harry McDonald's uh, argument or op-ed was focused on sales taxes, the thing that the governor had raised as a potential revenue option. Probably a shot across the bow there as well. So I, I, I think it's an I think it's an inflection point. I think I think this decision by the governor is going to be uh, a key indicator of uh, where the state goes from here. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you for coming on board. As always, it's good to talk with you. Appreciate you being part of it today. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. All right, folks, we got more coming up. The Michael Duke Show continues. Common Sense, Liberty-based, Free Thicket Radio. Chris Story will be joining us and more in just a moment. Maybe tell me what your thoughts are on what Brad just said, and I'll read those off in the uh, chat room in the first segment here. Get your take on it. We'll continue. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio.
buddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. That's right, live around the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukesShow.com, where you'll find links to everything, uh, including our audio-only live stream, the links to the podcast, which is available on CastBox, Stitcher, um, Google Podcast, iTunes, and, of course, Spotify, and links to our social media sites, where we simulcast the radio show each and every day, on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, uh, and uh, pretty much everything else. It's all over there at MichaelDukeShow.com. We appreciate it. Um, All right. Um, Hour two of the big radio program. We just finished up with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. And uh, we, you know, again, spreading a little hatred, discontent, and confusion out there. Uh, some folks are agreeing with Brad in the chat room. Others are disagreeing with Brad, specifically on the Hillcorp uh, discussion uh, and the you know so-called uh, loophole, I guess you would say, uh, for the Hillcorp LLC loophole where they are being taxed at a different rate than previous oil companies because their corporate tax structure is different. Uh, Brad is advocating that, uh, you know, that they should be taxed exactly the same way that BP was because there is a $100 million difference between what's happening with Hillcorp and what's happening with what was happening with BP simply because they are a different tax structure, being an LLC and, I guess, being taxed as an S-Corp instead of a C-Corp. Uh, some people have said, uh, fine, change it for the oil companies. That's uh, important because we're supposed to get the maximum benefit. According to the Constitution, we're supposed to get the maximum benefit out of our resources. And others have said, no, what you're trying to do is you're trying to pay, you're trying to make all small businesses in Alaska pay, advocating for every small business to pay some kind of corporate income tax. Although I don't think that's what what Brad is trying to do. Now, whether there could be a carve-out specifically for oil companies or not, based on the verbiage in SB 21 and everything, I don't know. But there is some money left on the table. And in fact, Brad has talked about on the program in the past how that uh, overall that there's probably four or $500 million still available on the table based on the tax structures that we're using right now for oil and gas and that it could be uh, it could be uh, changed up and and the state could be gathering more revenue from those sources because, again, oil is a finite resource and, uh, you know, what we get out of it, uh, we we only get one bite at that apple, so, so to speak. The problem overall, I think, is uh, this. Um, the, the problem with the, with the whole idea is that we still don't have 
a true fiscal plan. Um, and as much as we love to mock the Senate uh, for, uh, you know, for coming on board and saying, oh, we've got a fiscal plan. It's the 7525. Um, <clears throat> you know, that's well, I mean, anybody who is being intellectually honest understands that that is just one component of that is the spending side of a fiscal plan. It's not really a fiscal plan at all because you have, you know, if you're looking at a fiscal plan, you have to have strictures in place, right? I mean, for for example, for your home budget, right? You want to create a fiscal plan for your household. We, we would call that a budgeting process, right, for the household. So you have to take a look at what is your baseline expenses, right? What is your heat, light, power, food, those kind of things. Those are pretty much set expenses that you know are going to be there every year, every year moving forward. Every month you're going to have to pay them. And once you've figured out what your set expenses are going to be, then you look at your income, what you know your income is going to be, uh, and you try and balance those two things. And you have a plan that says, okay, uh, I am making just enough or maybe a little over and I could put some of that stuff away or maybe a little under, which means a little, I'm making a little less than what I'm expending. So then I have to trim that pressure. That downward pressure is forcing you to then trim some of your expenses and things like that. Uh, it's, it's a balance. A, a, a fiscal plan is a balance of all things. It is spending. It is revenue. It is, uh, you know, again, a stricture on if you're going above and beyond and over or and having a plan if you're making more money than what you're spending every month. If you're making more money than what you're spending every month then you've got a little bit more to, you know, you've got a little bit more to work with. So you have to have a plan of what you're doing with that excess money. So that's uh, the idea of a full fiscal plan. Uh, the Yeah, the Dave Ramsey approach. Boy, if we had the Dave Ramsey approach to state government, there would be some things in this state that would come to a screeching halt, I guarantee you. But see, their idea is, is that this fiscal plan of just 75-25 is very, very short-sighted. Because depending on whose numbers you look at, and whether it's Brad's numbers, or Ben Carpenter's numbers, or Donna Ardwin's numbers, or whoever's numbers, when you look at it, you realize that this here's the baseline. Here is the this is the problem with state budgets and state governance overall. The the problem number one problem is this: the state budget. If nothing changed, if um, you know the the rapture happened tomorrow and every legislator was sucked up into the you know the horn honked and everybody was sucked up into the sky and nothing else changed, and there were no legislators to to increase the budget or anything else, state government in and of itself would increase every year by about $150 million just based on automatic escalators and formulas that are baked into the whole thing. The, the size, the size of government would continue to grow because there's, there's, there's inflationary factors and contractual factors and everything else that are in there. So if nothing else changed and the and the legislature legislature did absolutely nothing, the government would increase every year by a hundred and fifty million dollars. So that means that every seven years or every five years, rather, 
um, you'd have a $750 million increase. Every 10 years, you'd have a $1.5 billion increase in state government. Now, I can tell you that the full PFD, you know, that the the 75% of the, the full PFD is about $1.6 billion, right? $1.6, $1.7 billion, somewhere in there. So now they're at 75-25, meaning 75% of the earnings go to government and 25% goes to the PFD. It won't be but a couple years before all of that money, the excess money, the extra 25% that they've decided to take, is, um, it is going to be consumed by just that part of the increase. No other, forget about any additional spending, forget about any additional programs, just that part of the increase. And as Brad pointed out, in just for example, between 2021 and 2023, the increase in the operating budget was half a billion dollars. So it is inevitable that the monies that the the monies that the legislature is trying to uh, control and capture in the PFDs will all be gone in just I mean uh, I saw uh, uh, Ben Carpenter and, and Donna Ardwin were talking about what two years by the end of Dunleavy's term the PFD could be gone but even if it goes out to the five year six years that that Brad Keithley laid out the the money is still gone. And the PFD is then gone. And then they will come back to us hat in hand. And I can almost guarantee you the the verbiage will be something along the lines of, well, you know, Alaska, we haven't ever had a tax. And so you folks really need to pay your fair share. If you want the government that you've got right now, if you want to keep us going and you don't want to lose any essential service. I love how they always talk about essential services first. They never talk about any of the fluff. They never talk about any of the nice-to-haves versus the must-haves. The first thing they talk about is education and public safety and infrastructure. That's what they, the three things that are mandated by the Constitution. They always talk about those things. Well, if you guys want your roads, if you guys want troopers to show up at your house, if you guys want education and libraries for your children, then <clears throat> you Alaskans, you're just going to have to, uh, you're just going to have to pay your fair share. And then it's going to be taxation. And because we, as a people, we as a, we as a minority of smaller government people who would like to see government live within our means, because we are a minority and because in our stubbornness, we refuse to talk about any other form of taxation, they will force down our throats the absolute worst possible form of taxation that you could have. They will already have taken the PFD, which is the number one, right? That's the number one uh, most damaging thing to the economy. We've talked about that ad nauseum, but they'll, I'm sure they'll force down number two, which is the sales tax, the second most regressive form of taxation in it. And because they don't want, as Brad said, they don't want to have any kind of any form of income tax or flat tax or anything that hits everybody else. They want it to be that smaller, more regressive tax so that the top 20% are insulated from all that uh, and and move forward. But that's that's exactly what's going to be coming down the pike. I mean, I'm mark that mark today, 6-6-23. Today, 6th of June, 23. 
I've said it again, but I've said it, that in 24 to 48 months, they'll come back to us and some talking head on behalf of the legislature, whether it's the Senate president or some other mouthpiece like Karl Mars or somebody else, will come in and say, you know, Alaska, well, Zach Fields has already said it. He actually said it on the, in an op-ed here not too long ago. But other people will start saying Alaskans really need to pay their fair share. Not to mention the fact that they, the government has already sucked up all of our fair share and everything else. That they are expending $16,000, $16,000 for every man, woman, and child in this state on state government, and we're not seeing that money flow through our hands at any given point. I mean, the difference between another state and the state of Alaska is in another state, the money at least flows to the people. And you could even talk about states that have high tax rates like California or New York. And you could say at least that money first goes to the people and they have an opportunity to use it, even if it's for a short period of time. And that money has an opportunity to turn in the economy a couple, three, four times before it's taxed and then consumed by government. At least the people got their hands on it for a short period of time and could leverage it and make use of it. In Alaska, they're spending $15,000 for every single person in your household, and you didn't see a dime of it before it went straight to government. That's the major difference. They're receiving all of the revenue, all of the all of the the revenue from the taxes and the levies and everything else. They're receiving 75 percent of the royalties directly into their coffers. And now they're going to take 75 percent of the remaining earnings of the 25 percent that was set aside. And they're just it's it's never going to be enough. And we are never going to see it in our hands because, again, they give zero craps about what's happening in the private economy. Especially the lower half of the private economy. I mean, this is, uh, this is the way. This is what we're going to be seeing. So mark your calendars. I said it today. 24 to 48 months from now, somebody will get up and say, you know, Alaskans hasn't, haven't had a tax. We, you know, we need to pay our fair share. Mark me, mark it down. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Chris Story is up next as our guest. Listened to by more staffers in Juno than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're gonna be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. Okay. So. Show. Okay. Um, mm. <laughs> Sorry, just 
I don't even know why. I don't even know why I have Twitter on my phone. I really, I really don't know why I even have Twitter on my phone. It's just <clears throat> Twitter is just such an infuriating place. I have no idea why I uh, why I have that there. Okay, all right. Let me uh, let me get the let me get the the positivity guru on the phone, shall we? We'll get Mr. S they call him Mr. Story. Let's see if we can get him uh let's see if we can get him joined up here. Um uh are you there, Chris? No. All right. Hold on, Chris. I gotta call you back again. This damn thing's not working right. I'll call you right back. Um we're gonna try this one more time because what the actual hell is going on there? Okay. That, uh, that was, that, I got audio there. Why don't I have audio when I try and call Mr. Story? Let's try this again. There we go. How now, brown cow? Oh, it's brown. Uh, it's a good thing I wore the brown pants today. That's all I'm saying. Uh, hello, sir. How are you, uh, how are you doing today? Doing fantastic. Doing fantastic. Another beautiful day. Here overlooking the Cashback Bay, a little overcast, but that just makes the uh, mountains uh, that much more interesting to look at. Sure, I mean, I'll I'll take your word for it. I I believe you are probably correct. Chris Story, the man from Homer, comes in every week to talk with us about uh, positivity and pottery and how not to become a nihilist. I mean, all different kinds of things. Here, um, what? Uh, What's your what's your topic for? Yes, that was a Mandalorian quote, uh, Debbie. Sorry, that was. I mean, it just came to my mind. I don't know why, uh, Mister Story. What is your uh, hot topic for today, sir? What are you What are you sharing? What bits of wisdom are you going to be sharing with us? Uh, painting the portrait of a good life. Painting the portrait of a good. I but I don't have any. I can't paint. I have no talent in that. Is that is this still okay? Well, we'll have to wait and see. I think uh, I think you, uh, you might feel differently by the end of this conversation. I definitely might feel differently by the end. You might be 100% right on that. All right, so painting the portrait of a good life with Christopher L. Story. Um, all right, so uh, we're looking forward to that. We're going to jump into that here in just a second. So hold the line for me, Chris, and uh, we will be back. Folks, um, I would love to... Uh, uh, I would love to uh, see you guys come on out and join us on Facebook. We got about or on uh, YouTube. We got about half the folks right now watching us on YouTube, uh, which I found is interesting. Uh, Forty-seven people right now in the chat room, and uh, only uh, twenty-four of them are on. Uh, only twenty-four of them are on Facebook. So first things first. What the hell? Where is everybody? Normally, there's about seventy people in here. So. Share and like the show. Like and share. Doesn't matter which platform you're on, like and share. Whether you're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, share it with your friends and neighbors and everybody that you know. Get more people involved there. And then if you haven't gone over to, and many of you have, so I appreciate that. But if you haven't gone over and logged on to uh, YouTube and looked me up there and liked and subscribed there, would you do that for me now? It will uh, It will give me a. Uh, it'll give me a warm fuzzy. And you know that's important. Just give me a warm fuzzy for uh, uh, for having more subscribers over on YouTube. I always like to have a backup just in case. 
Facebook doesn't like the fact that I said you should go hunt opossums, okay? That's just that's just not how it is. Uh, it's just easier than trying to catch them by hand. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. But if Facebook decides that was hate speech against possums, then I guess that's where we go. All right. Chris Story joins us. We're ready to do this thing. Um, Like, share, follow. Yeah, give me a warm fuzzy. Everybody give me a warm fuzzy. Go over to Facebook and let's do that. Here we go. Common Sense Radio. Chris Story, the obnoxiously positive and sometimes hilarious man from Homer, joins us every week to talk about pottery, positivity, and how not to become a nihilist. We're looking at you, Eric. It's the Michael Dukes Show. Yeah, I mean, I thought I'd pull that one out of the Wayback Machine just to give Chris a smile on his face. Uh, good morning. Chris Story is our guest, uh, the man from Homer, I love HomerAlaska.com. Author of authora authora author of a plethora that's a authora uh, author of a plethora of books including the backyard millionaire born to live uh, making of man and more uh, he joins us this morning to talk about painting the picture of the perfect life and um, and even though I have no skill at all in painting he's reserved his judgment in fact to tell me whether or not I'm going to be okay with this so we're, we're going to find out good morning sir. Good morning, Michael. The only exception I would take with that is, it's funny too, because I do intend to talk about pottery a little bit, but uh, is not a perfect life, but a good life. I'm, I'm reluctant life. to okay. use the word perfect. Yeah, okay. perfect implies something that I, I don't quite understand myself. Well, perfection is, is such a thing as a perfect life. Right. I mean, it's the str- it's striving for perfection. I mean, you may never reach it, right? But it's the striving, I guess. For But you're right, a good life. A, 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 yes, happy, fun, go- joyous, you know, there you go. Those are your adjectives, my friend. And like my and those I are like my them. those are my those are my pronouns, not my adjectives. So those just are, get with the okay, just get I with. Apologize. All right, uh, I identify as joy and happiness. All right, what? Uh, so, painting the picture of the good life. Um, break it down for me, my friend. Where, where do we start? Well, I mean, we're dancing around the topic that we we talk about a lot: the meaning of life, which is a deep topic for such shallow minds but we'll delve into that anyway did you wait Uh, is that for me or did you just insult all my listeners i'm wondering i'm just curious what you're trying to say there oh it's just you okay 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 just making sure i can i can take it i can take it all right yeah no i know you're you're a big guy you can you can handle broad shoulders but i was talking to to uh, a friend yesterday who's who's in the process of uh, uh, a multi-year research project on a book about not just success but meaning and finding in, you know, a meaningful life and success, the combination of the two. And so then then I got in the mail yesterday, a brand new book by one of my favorite authors, Seth Godin. It's called The Song of Significance. And it's about finding meaning at work or making your work meaningful. And it just reminded me as I kind of bombarded a little bit. I mean, this is what you and I've been talking about for many years. It's been the, the thrust of my On Top of the World radio program. That's the essence of my book, Born to Live, is this idea that there's something more than just a paycheck. There's something more than just getting that when you show up to give, you can't help but get. And it reminded me of one of my favorite Picasso quotes. We've got it in a little frame. And it says, the meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. And so I'm just thinking about, okay, what is, if, if Picasso painted the portrait of the good life for himself, 
what would the portrait of my good life look like or your good life? It's going to be completely different than Picasso's, of course. And I think we have to kind of dissect his quote a little bit and say, wait a minute, what does he mean finding your gift? Well, I think there's a really good chance that if you don't identify with that or you don't relate to that topic or that conversation and go, what gift? I don't, dude, I'm late for work. I, I don't know what gift you're talking about. I think there's a really good chance you've tamped down something that you've always wanted to do or try to master you, something you've wanted to become or somebody you wanted to become or something you've wanted to do that might be a gift and you might resonate with it. You might be nodding your head now going, mm-hmm. yeah, but, but for fear, but for uncertainty, anxiety, what if I'm no good at it? What if nobody likes the work I produce? What if it doesn't work out? And then the worst of all, and this is the pile on, and this is what goes through many, many people's minds, what will they say? And so this gift can be creative like Picasso's, which come, which conjures art and painting and creativity, or it can be capitalistic. It can be just a, a pure business scheme that you've always wanted to do. Maybe you've wanted to be a business on your own, or it's leadership. Maybe you've wanted to take a, a, a bigger leadership role at the company or in your family or at school or at work, something where you want to lead people. Um, or it could just be simply you've always wanted to just do some head down physical work. I just want to build something or go to work making something, but I'm, I'm held back because, well, I have a law degree or I do this, or I am engaged in this type of work. I think the gift that Picasso was talking about was something to do, not just creativity or paint or go move to Tahiti and uh, live with, you know, a bunch of people in a, in a commune and paint until you die of leprosy. I think he meant, which wasn't him, that was more Gauguin, but nevertheless, it doesn't have to just be art, but it could be. And I think we should not limit ourselves with that gift. It's interesting because, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, you just talk about, you know, the things that people do and what will they the the uh, you know the uh, the the group of they think you know kind of thing, and then you'd mention people say well but I'm a lawyer or I'm a this or I'm a that. A lot of times your chief purpose sometimes it's wrapped up in what you do and your occupation and who you are, but that's not always the case, right? I mean sometimes it could be something that's completely different or opposite of what you do to make a living, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And just thinking in terms of the gift, like maybe your gift really is uh, like Alan Dershowitz. I don't think anybody would argue that Alan Dershowitz's gift is being wasted or squandered in life. Only he'll really know. Only he could really know. But he's he's an incredible constitutional lawyer. He's, an, he's just an amazing lawyer. Just ask OJ. Um, it's not to, for us to look at his life or yours and say, hmm, you're sure squandering a gift because maybe he can sketch realistically maybe you can't tell the difference between his photorealistic painting and a photo i don't care he's got to determine what his gift is and it seems based on the fruit of his labor that it's lawyering that it's interpreting the constitution that it's defending those who might appear to not be worth defending to to the masses that maybe is his gift but what i'm struck with when i think about lawyers i think about alvin from the Cosby show, the Huxtable. I don't know. Are we allowed to even talk about the Cosby show anymore? Is that... <laughs> I don't know. You just did. So we'll see if we get canceled. Let's do but... it. Let's, yeah. let's finish the analogy then. Yeah. Alvin is a lawyer 
but yet he starts a small plumbing company. And this is uh, Dr. Huxtable's son-in-law. To his chagrin, his son-in-law and his daughter, who both attended law school and got lawyers, a lawyer, um, I think even passed the bar and show, whatever, but they gave it up so they could be plumbers because they just wanted to do something physical and interesting and challenging. And so what is their gift? I don't know. What is your gift? It's for you to decide. What does Picasso mean when he says, okay, that's the meaning of life. It's finding the gift. And then your purpose is to give it away. We know history showed us Picasso didn't give away his art. He sold it, became fabulously wealthy in his own lifetime. And that's not all talented artists don't actually achieve that. But he did. He became fabulously wealthy in his own lifetime. He went through hardships, of course, but he became incredibly wealthy. What does it mean to give it away? What I think he meant was to use your gift, that you actually give more than you take. So, right. for example, I make a T-bowl and I sell it to you for $125. Well, why would I? I mean, this seems like a lot when the average mug sells for 45 Why am I charging you 125 for that T-bowl? doesn't matter. That's, that's my pricing rate, okay? So that's what I'm going to get. At the same time, what I'm giving in that gift, using that gift and what I'm giving is far more valuable to the recipient of it than it is to me. The 125 bucks, that's something, but that's just a handful of dollars. The lifetime of enjoyment that comes from that art that I put into the world, at least until somebody drops it, but it can be generational, <laughs> can be handed down. It's something of, of great value. Or for example, I sell a copy of my book for the Backyard Millionaire, I sell a copy of that for $14. Yeah, I get a handful of dollars out of that. But the gift of the story, escape, and possible encouragement towards uh, wealth in your own backyard is far more valuable to the reader than what I'm taking in, in dollar values. So it's right. that concept that Napoleon Hill talked about over 100 years ago to give more in use value than you get in cash value. That is what I think Picasso meant by giving it away. He meant using it right. rather than hiding it, use it. You know, remuneration is deserved for the fruits of your gift. But joy and meaning and purpose are what you're going to get by using it and giving that gift to the world. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I can't tell you, you know, I've done, uh, I've narrated books before that, uh, you know, I, I may have made a lifetime, uh, uh, you know, may have made a lifetime income of, uh, you know, $35 or something on, but it was the joy of storytelling or the joy of performance that uh that does you know that does those things especially early on in some of those books it's just it's you know giving that out and away and uh and and doing it it doesn't necessarily have to be monetary it also doesn't rule monetary out but that you're putting mm -hmm. it out there in the world right something exactly yes and that's what he meant by giving it away uh, it, again it wasn't for free it wasn't um you know a communist approach towards you know to each according to their means and, and you don't need anything more than this it was about i think the use of it versus hiding it under a bushel because you're afraid of what they might think or because you know we have a lot of inertia in our lives no matter where you are on the ladder of life what your age is irrelevant there's inertia that's gotten you from there to here from wherever you started to where you are now and that can be difficult to turn around. It's like turning a tanker. Sometimes you feel like, well, I can't really turn around right here. There's no, it's too late. Or as my friend Mark Elton says, it's too late in the dance to call her ugly. I'm committed to this career. It's like, no, you can start something new on the side. We are in the digital age such that all opportunity has been democratized. You can try anything. You can become a self-published author. You can start an Etsy store with your art 
and really make a go of it financially if you want to, uh, or at least just expose your art to the rest of the world and use that gift. And if you're listening to this and saying, well, I, I don't know what this idiot's talking about. Me, Michael, not you. You're nobody, nobody in your audience thinks you're an idiot. Nobody. Maybe. Uh, no, you you're, that? yeah, no, I, I, I understood. Thank you. Um, Thank you. but I mean, and you're right because today is even better than before. I mean, we can go back in history and look at stories of, I mean, Harlan Sanders was like 57 or 58 years old when he went out and started hawking Kentucky fried chicken. Right. I mean, he was not a, he was not a spring chicken. He was, you know, he was, he was in his, uh, his later years and we, we can talk about this for you. And that was well before the internet and all the connectivity and everything else and the plethora of opportunities that we have today, you can, you can change the direction of your life at 50 or 60 sometimes. I mean, it, 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 it doesn't matter. Age is a number at that point. It depends on what your passion is and if you're finding a need and filling a need. Exactly. A guy called Wally was an agent, a, a talent agent for people like Gladys Knight and the Pips and Marvin Gaye. And he had a talented client pool. And yet his gift, he felt in life, was bringing people joy through his cookies. So Wally Amos created famous Amos cookies and started with a little tiny shop, a little tiny shop in Hollywood, little tiny little kiosk of a store before he quit his job of talent agency. And he started that. It went off like gangbusters. And he ended up giving his gift away coast to coast through Macy's and other stores with his cookies. Again, not giving it away, but he did. And that that's really why we even remember him or know his name today is simply because he pivoted in his 40s from a very successful, viable career into something that was really what he felt he was meant to do in bringing people joy in a different way. Right. And I guess I would say this, if you if you really don't understand or this doesn't resonate with you or you're already living that gift and giving it away, wonderful, good for you. But if you think this is a bunch of hooey and almost sounding borderline woo-woo, which Michael would never allow woo-woo on the air. No woo-woo. Yeah. if you think that, then I think it's time to have a real heart-to-heart -heart with yourself and accept this line, accept this phrase that you were born on purpose and with a purpose. And truly, the journey and the searching for that can be its own reward. Just literally say, okay, I'm going to accept that on its face value. I'm going to, I'm going to accept that I was born on purpose and with a purpose, and the meaning of life is to find that gift and then the purpose will be to give it away. I'll accept that. Perfect. I'll, I'll take that on, on its head and say, yes, that's true. Now go look and enjoy the search and find meaning in that because it's an incredible adventure. And if life isn't fun, I would just say you're doing it wrong. Right. Uh, and breaking this down again from the very beginning, we got about a minute and a half left here. But I mean, breaking this down from the very beginning of, you know, how do we get started on this? It all starts, as you just said, with that conversation with yourself. Are you happy with where you're at? What do you feel like your purpose is? And can you set a goal and then find happiness along that trail? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if you if you feel like, hey, I, I know my gift and I am giving it away and I'm, I'm you know, hewning it like a log and it's going to fit neatly like a beautiful hand-hewed log home. Each joint is going to fit perfectly together and I, I'm enjoying this good life. Then maybe Maybe you could tap somebody else on the shoulder and say, hey, um, I believe in you. I see something in you. Come join me. If you feel like there's something 
left to give, even though you are already having this meaning purpose-filled life, what about giving more of it away and sharing and, and encouraging somebody else who's a little further down the ladder or they're off wandering in the field and aren't really sure what their purpose is? What if, what if your next season is about teaching and sharing and inspiring and engaging with other people in what might be to them a pointless, meaningless life? You could share something. So I think there's something for each of us left to do and it ain't over. You're saying they could become a woo-woo instructor, right? I mean, <laughs> that's... Yeah, or, or teach somebody to weld or teach somebody to yeah. <laughs> uh, build a home or craft. Or right, right. No, or woo-woo. Yeah, this is a woo-woo-free zone here. I'm just saying right now. Uh, I bring Chris on for me, not for you guys, not for the listeners, but for me, because I always get something good out of it. Chris Story, the man from Homer. I love HomerAlaska.com. You can find him there. The Backyard Millionaire, Born to Live, a couple of his books. Go out and find out more about them at his website or on Amazon.com. Chris Story, thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, Michael. Folks, we got more coming up. Hour two, dead ahead. Final segment of The Michael Duke Show. What is that? Common sense. Regularly heard on American radio. Okay, Chris Story, uh, with us for the final segment on the way out the door here uh, before we let him go. Um, what a, what a, uh, you know, what, what a good, what a good thing. I, I think Chris, this is what I've discovered that probably about, this is anecdotal, but in my opinion, in my ideas, my life, talking to people, um, you know, just, you know, probing them, talking about different things about their lives, about goals and things like that. Probably 70% of people probably walk around without any chief definite purpose or, or aim or goal, right? They don't even know what they're, they're, they're basically just going through life and, ha and letting it happen to them. But there is a, there is a slice out there that has a goal, a purpose, an aim, those kind of things. And you could be part of that minority with a simple decision, right? That's all it takes is a simple, single decision to, to start. Chris, Chris hung up on me. He did. Fail. Failure. Really wanted to talk more about this. Fine. We won't. We won't talk about it anymore. Chris Story, the man from Homer. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for, thanks for being part of that, man. I appreciate it. Uh, all right. Uh, coming up on the, uh, coming up on the uh, final segment of the show here this morning. Uh, and we will, uh, see what it is that you guys want to talk about. How about that? Let me, let me fire up the phone lines, I guess. We'll see if we want to open up the phones here for the last segment and see what you guys have got to say. Uh, we'll get things locked and loaded, and then I'll get over here into the chat room here in just a hot second, and we'll see what it is that uh, that you guys want to chat about here as soon as my phones, oh, they're taking their sweet time this morning, taking their sweet time. There we go. All right. And click. Mm-hmm. Thanks for calling the yeah. call-in line. All right, there we go. 
So the phone lines are now open and active. If you would like to sound off, we'd love to hear what you have to say today. Tomorrow I'm working on a couple guests, but uh, nothing laid out yet, nothing solid. And so we could be doing a full two hours of, uh, I guess, what if Wednesday. We could be talking about that, see what's going on there. Um, and I guess it just depends on whether or not you guys are on board with that. That's what we need. We need to need to know if you guys are all on board with that hot take or not. Okay. Phone lines are now up and running and locked. And we're going to jump in with that here in just a second. Okay. I'm going to go back up here to see what uh, it says. Randy says, what do you mean, mark my words, in 48 months, someone will say, he said, I thought Brad is already saying it, that we need an income tax. No, what I'm saying is in 24 to 48 months, somebody who right now is saying we don't need taxes for anything in this state, we just need to take the PFD, that somebody will then in 24 to 48 months will, will 180 degree change their tune and basically say, well, you Alaskans need to pay their fair, your fair share. I can guarantee you that that's going to be the, the – it'll be some form of that. It'll be a paraphrase of that idea. Oh, Alaskans, just, you know, you need to – you just need to pay your fair share because you're not paying it now is the – either they will say it outright or that'll be the implication is that somehow we're not paying our fair share because we don't have any form of taxes in the state and every other state in the nation has some form of tax be it sales or income or both, whatever it is. But I, I can just, I can see it now, Randy. That's exactly what's going to, that's exactly what's going to happen. Yes, Brad has been talking about it and we've talked about it on this program for quite a while, but it's, uh, yeah, it's in, in, in just, in just a few months, it will be, uh, I can't, uh, you know, it'll be, oh, you guys aren't paying your fair share. You need to, you need to pay more. And so that's what I was saying uh, right there. Um, let's see. Give Dukes a warm fuzzy. We saw that earlier. Willie's going to go try to catch a king on the river. Apparently kings are in. They're pulling kings out of the fishing hole on the spit right now in Homer. So good for those guys. Um, um, Bill said that for him, Chris truly hit home this morning. Thank you. Bill? You were born on purpose with a purpose, and uh, you can decide what that is, whether it's just making us all smile from your witty antics and witty witticisms, or uh, maybe it's something else. I don't know what it is, but it's good. Um, uh, bring on What If Wednesday. Yes to What If Wednesday. Brian says, we hear that referring already when you look at the federal dollars which flow into the state, which is that we're not paying our fair share. Uh, we know it's We know it's coming. We know. We know it's coming. All right. Um, here we go. Uh, the Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We're going to uh, we're gonna throw those phone lines open and see if there's anything else that you guys want to talk about. And uh, we'll kick it off uh, right now. Like it, share. Like it, follow. Subscribe. Ring the bell. Do it all. Here we go. Okay, fine. 
Man, it is the fastest two hours in radio. Just boom, here we are. Final segment. Final segment of the big radio program for today. Working on some guests for tomorrow. Uh, Nothing set in stone yet. We shall see what comes of that. But if nothing else, we're going to be working on a little what if, a little what if Wednesday, which is just kind of the Alaskan-based, you know, idea of uh, preparedness or being ready, being ready for anything. Thanks for coming into the program. Want to let you know that we're throwing the phone lines open right now for final thoughts on today's show. If there's anything that you heard today that you disagreed with or agreed with, uh, or you know you want to argue or you want to cajole or whatever, well, we got some time. 907-433-3150. 907-433-3150 is the phone number. And, of course, as always, we want to throw a special thank you out to the folks at Satellite West. You can find them at SatelliteWest.com. From Antioch to Adak, from Bethel to, I was going to say Barrow, but it's Uktavik now. Um, from any of those places, anywhere around the state, you could stay connected with the help of your friends at Satellite West. Phone calls, text messages, emails, surfing the internet, whatever it is you want to do, or wherever you're at. They've got the tools and the technology to make it happen. Check them out at SatelliteWest.com. Special thanks to them for sponsoring the show statewide. Thank you so much. We appreciate that. Okay. Um, <clears throat> well, we were just having a conversation during the break there after Chris uh, so rudely hung up on me and left. Guys, I, I went back to him right after we went to commercial break and I pontificated on this whole point and then i said chris what are your thoughts and there was nothing there because he'd hung up <clears throat> he's a busy guy we we can't we can't come we can't complain too much um let's um uh, but again let's let's talk a little bit about because somebody uh who was it randy had a question he said what do you mean when you said mark my words in 48 months someone will say you know about taxes he said i thought brad is already saying it that we need an income tax I'm not saying that I'm not saying about somebody like Brad. What I'm saying is the people who now are saying in the, you know, in the op-eds who are saying from the podium uh, of the legislature, who are saying in their press conferences or in their town halls, oh, we don't want a sales tax. We don't want to tax it. We don't want this or that, you know, to pay for the PFD or whatever. We don't need that. We've got it covered. Uh, we don't need taxes in this state is the ultimate kind of the end game of what they're saying. Um, <clears throat> what I'm saying is that those people that are saying that now, that in 24 to 48 months, one of those people is going to turn around and say to the public, well, you know, us Alaskans, we're just not paying our fair share because the money will be gone. The money from the permanent fund will be gone. And as we pointed out, and as Rick points out in the chat room, he said, no one mentioned that the taking of the PFD is a form of tax from every man, woman, and child in the state. And that's the whole point of what they're missing right now. Even this piece by McDonald or the previous piece, or, you know, by whoever, is that they're missing the point that the taking of the PFD is a de facto tax. 
So we're already being taxed, and it's a tax that is the most regressive one that they could possibly, it is the most regressive lever they could possibly pull in the state of Alaska. So we're already being taxed. Now, though, it will be an official tax because it'll be on sales of items or goods, or it will be on income, or it will be on whatever it is. And I just mark my words, some no-neck will stand up and say, well, we just don't pay our fair share. I've already heard this argument, by the way, for years. You know, just be happy you're not like every other state and are having to pay your tax. And you know what? I'm not quite convinced that that would be a bad thing. Because as I said earlier, in other states, you receive your money, you receive your income, you receive, you know, all the dollars that you have coming to you, then you have a period of time to utilize that or leverage it or do whatever you need to do with it. And then you pay it to the state to fund state government. The benefit of that is twofold. First, the money goes through your hands. So you have a chance to put it into the private economy. So it turns in the private economy, maybe not to its fullest extent because you have taxes coming up that you have to pay, but at least it comes into your hand and then you feel it when they take it back from you, right? You feel it when they take it back from you. You, oh man, that was a big, ta you know, and then it goes to state government here in the state of Alaska, they are taking all that money. It's bypassing you. So first and foremost, you don't see it and you don't feel it when you're taxed on it. And the worst part is the money doesn't go into the private economy at all because it never passes through your fingers. I mean, I've often said that one of the things that I wish we could do in this state is that I wish we could mandate that all the royalties, all the royalties, instead of 75% going to state government and then 25% going into the fund itself uh, to be spun off later on as the PFD, I have often said, you know, I really wish as owners, as collective owners of the state resource, that we received those monies directly. Because if, well, it's, I mean, how many people are in your household? I mean, if you're mom and dad and 2.1 kids, right, the average Alaskan family or whatever, you would receive in your household somewhere around $64,000, roughly, let's just say $64,000 is what you would receive from the state. I mean, that's high cotton, right? I mean, that's big. That's a, that's a lot. That's, I mean, man, think about it. $64,000 that you get. And you'd be like, this is great. I love living in Alaska. And then two weeks later, you get a bill from the state government for this is your tax bill. And your tax bill is 60000 of that $64,000 or $65,000. Now, you tell me, what would you do? If you got $65,000 and they issued you a tax bill a couple weeks later or a month later for $60,000, what would you do when you had to write that check for $60,000? You'd probably be asking some hard questions of your representative, like, what the hell are you spending this on? 
what what benefit for the $60,000 that you're expending for my household? What benefit am I receiving? That would be that would be a, a that would be a shocker. That would be an there would be pitchforks and torches from one side of the state to the other. I can almost guarantee it. If that's what happened. I mean, that's the point. I would almost rather have that than a, sure, bring on a flat tax, an income tax or whatever, but make sure that I get that revenue first. Because even in a short period of time, you know, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, I could probably do something with that to help generate that revenue and it would bolster the economy. And oh, by the way, my neighbors would probably get really pissed if they figured out that they had to spend $15,000 for every man, woman, and child of the state. There were, the state spending would come to a screeching halt. But hey, that's just me. Out of time. Be kind, love one another, live well. The Michael Duke Show. Timothy's 100% right. The benefit, other than roads for most, would be zip, nada. Okay, so we get some education funding. Okay, so we get roads. Okay, so we get troopers. Those are the three things that are mandated by the state of Alaska. The rest of it, all the rest of it, doesn't need to be there. I mean, it's nice to have. Now we would be juggling around and figuring out what are the biggest nice-to-haves versus the must-haves. That's what it would be about. All right. Well, we're out of time for today, my friends. Be kind. Love. Live well. We will see you tomorrow.
we've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show. <laughs> 